When a retired school teacher manages to vanish, but still sends letters and pays bills, authorities don't immediately take action. I mean, they don't even know what to make of it. However, when the letters are examined and the footage at the post office is examined, this may be more alarming than it seemed on its face. Hands down, this case and everything that goes with it makes for one of the most bizarre missing persons cases in U.S. history. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. a little bit but like didn't we nail that yes! <laughs> I, I was like i love missing person cases this, this, is, so this case is so interesting okay it's it's madness paul gruber taught for 22 years at incline high school near lake tahoe he had a love for teaching and learning and he especially loved foreign languages but after inheriting a pretty good amount of money paul was just kind of able to retire early and he wanted change so he moved to the shores of Muskrat Lane, a peaceful place in Idaho. His daughter, Shelly, was fairly close with her father. Um, They would, like, spend holidays together, and, you know, he was a grandfather. So so they had a good relationship A very good relationship. Cute. Um, In 1993, she spent Christmas with him, and then headed back to... And then he headed back to his home. So he was at her house for Christmas. In the weeks following this Christmas get-together... Shelly called her father and called him, and he never picked up the phone. Now, this is super unlike him to not return phone calls, but her worries were shortly put on pause when she received a birthday card from him for her three-year-old son. And red flag immediately. Well, not returning calls. It is a red, I mean, yeah, but not returning calls, such a red flag. But her worries were put on pause. Like I said, on pause because when she opened the birthday card she immediately felt that sense of wrongness again really the birthday card just seemed like cold and unlike him so she took the card to other writings of his to compare them oh so she was on it mm-hmm. okay this great is nancy drew at okay. her finest and she just, like, didn't feel like it was his signature. Like, so she called the local police department to do a welfare check on him because, like I said, they didn't live in the same place. He is from Lake Tahoe. I imagine that she lives around there. Um, but at the very least, like, he moved and she did not move with him. So she doesn't live in the same town. So she has to call the local police there to do a welfare check. She can't just kind of, like, Go there over. herself. Yeah. Gotcha. They found no one home, but also no evidence of a break-in. However virtually everything inside the house was gone. Stop. (laughs) Like, what was missing? Everything. So, according to Detective Sergeant Valdez, there was a complete lack of personal items, like clothing, toothbrushes, hairbrushes, nothing was there. It was like nobody had lived there. And Shelly also was able to say literally all his valuables were gone. Like, TVs, everything that he owned was literally gone. So... To test her theory now, because she's like, somebody did something. Yeah, because, I mean, she knows him better than anyone, and I can imagine You the know police... if your dad is the type oh. to just get up and go. 100%. And, like, he has a grandson, too, so he really wasn't, like, 
the person to just disappear. He was really happy to be a grandfather, you know? Yeah. Shelly, like I said, Nancy Drew, she's so smart. <laughs> love Shelly. She left messages for her dad on his answering machine. She asked him to not forget her husband's birthday and to please send them money that they quote-unquote discuss. A sleuth. A sleuth. A sleuth. A Scott sleuth. James, the prosecutor, is like, I don't even think it was her husband's birthday. <laughs> like, he was like... She actually did not have a husband. <laughs> she just, Could you she imagine? So no, but... He said it was, like, literally something Shelly just, like, made up out of the blue to see if it was really her father or not. You know, she's smart because if it were her father, he'd be like, what money? But shortly after this message, Shelly received a birthday card for her husband and a check for $25. God. Which, like, yes, I love that reaction of yours, but why aren't you thinking, what grown needs a check for $25? (laughs) I'm sorry, but whoever took Paul Gruber, why did they not sniff out that nobody needs $25 and she's yeah, lying? For a check. Right? <laughs> An idiot. But also. Because if I were the kidnapper of Paul Gruber, I'd be yeah. like, it seems fishy that she really needs this $25 for his birthday. Why can't she come up with it? Mm-hmm. And $25. also, if in the- her dad stumbled upon, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go for it. Her dad stumbled upon a lot of money and she's asking for $25. Not for her Two for Alexander Hamiltons <laughs> and one $5 bill. <laughs> I was like, I hope she doesn't expect me to finish that sentence. <laughs> I, um... I don't know, but Matt's going to be really mad. I don't know who's on the $5. <laughs> anyway, people smarter than me compared the handwriting on the check. Oh, did you want to nice. say something? No. <laughs> no. I'm I good. interrupted you before. No, it's good. I'm really sorry about that. No, this is good. Okay. It's good fun anyway, People smarter, like I said, mm-hmm. people smarter than me compared the handwriting on the check and the envelope to Paul. And when the handwriting analysis came back, the analyst felt that it was Paul's handwriting. However, Shelly girl was not convinced. Not our sleuth. Mm-mm. Not our sleuth. She was like, you may have a degree. <laughs> but clearly you need a new one. <laughs> but I have a magnifying glass. Just two pairs of eyes. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Don't even need a magnifying glass. But so she's not convinced and she makes more calls and eventually... They start looking into Paul's bills because, you know, Shelly is sniffing around and they're like, I guess we have to do our job. Good, because I can imagine they probably thought, okay, this is a grown man. All Lives of his- alone. Yeah. Like, maybe he just doesn't tell anybody. hundred percent. Or something. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but they do. They look into his bills and they found that all his bills are being paid. And he was using an ATM card around town for cash. So they're like, cool, let's check if he's at the ATMs because, you know- ATMs have cameras. Smart. Not these ATMs. Oh my god. Why'd you leave me there? Because <laughs> whoever took what? Paul just was using, I guess, specific ATMs around town that didn't have a camera. So now the police are like, okay, Shelly, you're right. This is fishy. Good. This is fishy, for sure. So now things are starting to feel weird. And Shelly is absolutely convinced at this point that something bad happened to her father. Like, before she had a hunch, now she has a whole (laughs) theory. She has evidence. Literally. She's about to bring the receipts to the police and do their job for them. So, on her hunch, she calls the local post office because, like, she has been getting mail. So that means he's picking up mail. 
to, you know. Like, on a regular basis. That's what she thinks. And so she's like, hello, who is picking up my father's mail? And a security camera at the post office, because thank God somebody has a security camera. That's working. Finally. Um, shows a silhouette that wasn't Paul. So first, my first thought is like, why is the post office poorly lit? Yeah. But... <laughs> Oh, yeah, you said just a silhouette. See a ghost? I, like, is, I don't just turn on some lights. Yeah, people have to write letters in there. I don't. Weird, right? Anyway, yeah. so yeah, it was just like a silhouette. Okay. Of Paul, or not Paul, I mean. Um, it wasn't Paul. So then they like put that picture out, and mm-hmm. people in town started to talk about it, and they were like, we think it is 43 year old Daryl Cool. So Kewel? the. T- Kewel. We're going to go with Kewel. Okay works so yeah the townspeople decide to like put their heads together and they're like that's daryl kewell so daryl kewell is a 43 year old local handyman who had been doing work for paul a comparison with the silhouette and kewell's picture solidified that answer so like they literally put kewell's like side profile next to the silhouette from the post office and they were able to be like "Mm -hmm, that's a guy okay cool so um Kewl had lived in California and possibly Washington. He had a large family of seven kids and a wife. Now, the Forensics Files episode did say he had five, six, or seven kids, so I don't know. That's a big difference. I don't know why they don't know the definite number. (laughs) Okay. Maybe Kewl doesn't know the definite number. You know, I think that's right. I don't know. But, and a wife. So he immediately admits to picking up Paul's mail because he had asked him to, I guess, before he went on a trip to Canada. When they showed him a picture of Paul Gruber, Kewl looked at it and said, that wasn't the Paul I saw. Wait! What the f***? Wait, so... What? So who had he been working for? So that's the question. They get Kewl to sit down with a sketch artist to come up with a rendition of who the man he had spoken to was. They used this computer software called CompuSketch and entered all the details that Kewl gave to generate a sketch. Okay. Um, He would then, like, provide feedback on the image every time they generated one, and then they would change one thing at a time until it was perfect. And when it was finished, they released the composite sketch of this man. Okay. So now months go by and there's like no buzz, no related tips about the sketch. And, you know, it's funny because, not funny, I guess, but like strange because whenever any police officer, police department puts out a sketch, like you get the most random tips being like, that's my grandfather or like, that's, (laughs) I know that's my (laughs) ex-husband. He did me dirty. Stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Just like BS from people calling Exactly. There is nothing like radio silence. And there's still no sign of Paul Gruber either. So at this point, the police are just, like, worried because, like, there's technically no evidence that anything even really happened in the first place. Yeah, I can imagine they're questioning everything they know at this point. Right, and they're like, do we just, like, stop? Do we go more invested in this? Like, But then again, what do they invest in, really? Exactly. They don't don't know, so they go back to search Paul's house, which I thought was amazing of them because, you know, most of the scummy police departments that we read about... And I don't mean most of them are scummy, but when we do read about police departments that I'm like, ugh, why didn't they do that? Why They did less than they needed to do, and that's why this case is messed up. These police officers seem to be like, you know what, we don't think anything happened, but why don't we double check? Yeah. 
Where's the harm in that? No harm at all. No harm done. No harm done. So they knock, knock, knock on Paul's door again. Obviously no sign of Paul, but Mm -hmm. something inside the house did bother Detective Sergeant Valdez. I love that. Love the title. Love saying Detective Sergeant Sergeant Valdez. Valdez. He's so cool. It just has a ring to it. I don't know. Anyway, so something bothered him about it. So he notices this small rug in the foyer literally glued to the floor. Just that? Like it wasn't anything big? Just like something was glued to the floor? Uh, Like a rug glued to the floor. Okay. So let me ask you now. Would you glue a rug to the floor? Not even a little bit. No. They make those things that like you just put under the rug and it like makes your rug not move. You don't need to use glue. At all. You don't. And honestly, the money you spend in glue, you probably could have just spent that. It's <laughs> a lot of glue. It's a lot of glue. You could have just bought of one of the underneath use? rug things. If anyone knows what those are called, just let them know. <laughs> Command strips? Sticky no, no. tabs? No, like, you know, the, it's like a rug that you really? put underneath, but it's like, it's like, um, almost like sticky. Oh, and it's like, like on both sides? It's like the, no, just under the rug. Are we harping a little bit too much mm-hmm. on this rug thing? Let me look it up. Like a rug gripper. Oh. Look, oh, it's literally okay, like... Oh, okay, got you. It's like waffled. Yeah, so you know? that it doesn't slide around. Yeah, and it's like stick, okay. like rubbery, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, you can cut this out if you feel so inclined, but maybe people want to know. Okay, yeah. Maybe they're curious at this point. They're like, okay, we have to know. <laughs> Helen, just move on about the rug. <laughs> so, Detective Sergeant Valdez thought this was weird, and I quote, he said, my wife would kill me if I did something like that to the hardwood floor. <laughs> <laughs> he is right. He is right. Good. Because I would kill Matt if he ever glued a rug to our floor. As you should. I just would. Part so one. they tear it up. Under the rug, there was a small gouge in the wooden floor, and it looked like a bullet had ricocheted and hit the floor. So tests were done, and it came back positive for lead in the floor. So they're like, okay, it's a bullet. <sighs> So police used luminol and discovered that there was blood on the floor and halfway up the door. It was clear that the home had been bleached, and so they they sent the blood in for tests, and it did confirm that it was the blood of Paul Gruber. I mean, I'm just, I'm shocked. My mouth is open. I'm catching a fly. Like, what the hell? Right. And I'm almost also like, if that... Whoever is the man that did this, just, like, maybe if he didn't glue the rug to the floor, no one would have found this. At all. But they were like, hey, why is this rug not moving? And mm-hmm. then they checked under it. Like, this guy is so dumb. dumb. Sending that $25 t- checks, gluing rugs to the floor. <laughs> right. Like, who did this? Who did this? Idiot. Anyway, so they continue with the investigation, knowing that they need to find a body. But at this point, they're like, where do we start? So far, Derek Kuehl... Daryl Kuehl, excuse me, is the only one with any info, but also the only guy on police's radar. So even though he is like a respected man in the community with no prior record, they decide to look into his finances. Okay. Kuehl had recently deposited over $20,000 into his checking account. Red flag. Right. And in the same time frame, similar amounts had been taken out of Paul's accounts. So they're like, hello, cool, we have some questions. (laughs) This seems a little weird. Right, so they question him, and he admits that he was using the money to just pay Paul's bills for him. So, So, yeah, police are like, hmm, okay, follow-up questions. Yeah, definitely. Because I don't know, Sherry, like, I love you very much. Thank you. 
Would I give you $20,000 to just rely on you to pay that amount of bills? No. I I I don't even trust my own damn self to pay (laughs) $20,000 bills. Why would I ever give it to this man doing maintenance on my house? Right. I mean, how close could you have gotten? Like, it's just the whole thing's He has a daughter. Why wouldn't he just give her the money to pay his bills? Like, it doesn't add up. And also, like... If we're just mailing bills in, can't he do it from wherever he is? There's no post office in Canada? Right. I don't... <laughs> like, what's <laughs> don't going on know. in Canada? Is it more money or something? I don't get it. This do they so not have weird. mail in Canada? I don't... So, what did they say about it? So, the detectives, like, couldn't let it go at that point. Even though the forensic handwriting analyst said it was Paul's handwriting, Shelley still didn't believe it. And, like... They think, like, okay, she may be in denial because nobody wants to believe that their dad would just get up and walk. But it also just might have been the fact that she was family and she knows her dad better than anyone else. So Valdez is like, listen, I'm not going to chance it. I'm going to send in another forensic handwriting analyst for a second opinion. I I, I love them. I love Valdez. They're doing everything right. I've never said that out loud before. (laughs) Right. But they are. They're just doing everything right. So, the analyst said that his subconscious characteristics were analyzed, which is just kind of things you do when you're, like, not trying to have nice handwriting, like, things that you do when you're, like, kind of scribbling or writing, like, a a signature or whatever. Um, So, he looked at that, and he found that it actually wasn't his signature. His P's were different because, like, Paul would loop them completely differently, and his N's were also pretty different. He was able to, like, look there weren't any N's, I guess, in the letters, but he was able to compare them to M's, and people will always, like, do Double. the same type as M's. So he used that, and they were not the same at all. It was conclusive. Paul Gruber did not write those letters. So naturally, the police are like, hey, why don't you just try something real quick? Put it up <laughs> okay. against Daryl Kuehl's handwriting. Oh! What happens? And it was a match. I mean, this is so typical. I mean, I don't know if it's Daryl for sure, but killers will always try to insert themselves right. in the case. It's so So I don't know bizarre. how involved he was, but I mean... Yeah, so at this point, they're just like, crazy. okay, Daryl, what is happening? So they search Kuehl's property, and they discover they discover a hidden door in his house that revealed a collection of throwing stars, big swords, and military gear. And I don't know if this is normal in Idaho. I don't... But it's not okay with me. <laughs> it's not okay <laughs> They also found property that belonged to Paul, including a boat. Maybe I don't wanted, know where this guy just hid a boat. He, and want, they, he wanted him to hold it so he could go to Canada. Yeah, like... Hey, um, Sherry, while I'm in Canada, can you just, like, store my boat somewhere, not where I usually store it? Just to switch things up a little while I'm in Canada. Yeah, it's fine. I got it. They also found a twenty-two caliber with a homemade silencer. On August 23rd, 1995, detectives asked someone who worked part-time as a carpenter and actually had worked on Paul's home before Paul owned it to check the grounds and see if any, like, alterations were made that could be hiding a body. So smart, right? So, literally, they ask this guy who's, like, knows that house, probably has the floor plans and stuff, Mm -hmm. and he can say, like, hey, that changed, look into it. So, they do, and he does. Under the house, there was an impression that hadn't been there before. 
over the many months of investigation, the ground had, I guess, like, settled, and so they didn't know. But upon digging in this spot, investigators discovered what seemed to be an air mattress, and rolled up inside was the body of Paul Gruber. He had been shot four times with a twenty-two caliber handgun. I mean, and think about it. They only found the one single shot at the home. Yeah. So that is... They're so lucky. Yep. It's crazy. So after examination, it was found that the bullets did not match the handgun or the silencer owned by Daryl Kuehl. But what's interesting is the Forensic Files episode does note that sometimes when you do make, like, a homemade silencer, it can affect the ballistic tests. Okay. So that's not, like, saying it definitely wasn't him, but it's just saying we can't prove that it was, you know? And I imagine anyone who has just, like, a downstairs hidden door with like throwing stars. Like, where's the other twenty-two caliber? Yeah. Maybe he just has another one that he got rid of. Yeah, exactly. and he would know well enough that, okay, that would affect the impression that it would make. Yeah, oh yeah. No, definitely. Um, so, anyways, they didn't really kind of, like, even though they weren't able to match the gun to Daryl, they didn't really need it because they had something else. The stamps on each of the letters that he sent. Upon examination, he's a stamp licker. And he licked the stamps. Oh my god! And he put- So, in May of 1996, he was put under arrest and charged with the murder of Paul Gruber. And almost as soon as he is in jail, he's, like, starting already to try to get out. Like, plotting to get out. So, an inmate testified that Daryl said that he would pay him and give him a car if he killed the prison officers for him. All of them? What is this plan? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But the officers were on him, and they even, like, went to him, and they were like, hey, dude, the jig is up. We know. And also, where are you going to get that car? Because you're in prison. So, how are you going to give that guy a car while you're so behind bars? Lame. Sick. Sick plan. So, the inmate, who happened to be his cellmate, also stated that Daryl had planned to kill the investigators on the case, and the cellmate knew details about the case that no one but the real killer would have known. So they were literally like, cool, keep telling us more about this so we can just, like, solidify that it was him, because now we know. Good. So prosecutors believe Daryl had planned to kill Paul and take his money, because, like we said, Paul had run into some money, and that's why he moved in the first place. Mm -hmm. Paul had trusted Daryl and hired him as a handyman around the home, but Daryl took advantage of him, and that's when everything went awry. During his three-week trial in 1997, Daryl kept claiming his innocence, sticking to the original claim that although he was found with all of Paul's belongings, (laughs) okay, I don't know, like, how he could go further than this for that argument, but... He said he had never actually met the real Paul, only the quote-unquote imposter. Like, this is damn among us. Yeah, like, come on. Anyway. Let it go. His lawyer even went so far as to be like, no, 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 the imposter's framing him. Like, the state that... (laughs) The state was like, no, he isn't. Just don't... (laughs) They were like, we actually want the death penalty in this case because we're just so done with the BS that has ensued. And also, just like, Kuehl, quote, exhibited utter disrespect for human life and, quote, was motivated by greed, which I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't know where I personally stand on the death penalty. I actually don't really fully believe in it. But, you know, I could understand why the state thinks that this case is worthy of that. 
And it was clearly so well planned. Right. And, like, he, the fact that he was, like, talking to the police, being like, no, 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 he asked me to pay his bill. Like, mm-hmm. all that stuff is so alarming. The jury found him guilty of first degree murder as well as they charged him with um, counts of forgery and grand theft. However, they didn't agree with the death penalty, um, so he was sentenced to life in prison. Just as good. Ah, Just better, rock. Better. Rock. We're not going to waste money on his appeals. However, we did waste money on one that he tried. Um, over the years, he's been appealing his conviction um, and stating basically that his attorney like erred by failing to argue that there was insufficient evidence for the jury's verdict. But all of the appeals were literally denied because the judge was like, what do you mean? That doesn't even make any sense. Good. Um, on June 19th, 1997, Daryl wrote a letter to Bonner County Daily Bee where he said, quote, I was framed and false things have been used against me. And, quote, the real killer or killers are indeed still free and among you. Killer or killers? I don't know. He's like, it was my wife, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, like, yeah. it's not believable, Daryl. Just give really up. Not. Nobody believes you. I will say, though, when you mentioned that, oh, that's not the right? Paul guy that I've been talking yeah, to, I was the like, first half, you, huh? I was like, wait. <laughs> so, anyway, Daryl back is currently imprisoned at the Idaho Correctional Center and will be eligible for parole in 2034 when he will be 84 years old and hopefully his bones will be weak as hell and he won't be able to move and hurt anybody else. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and you can even follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.